Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. When you're asleep, you can dream, create all of the illusions and think you're living your best life and then eventually you wake up to get to work. I knew that eventually I was going to have to wake up from the dream. You know, I lived to, to feel nothing, you know, to escape the existential angst through all of the indulgences. You don't want to be so grounded that you, you know, lose all your ability to respond and be creative and explore, but also you don't want to be so unhinged that you can't actually build anything that, of substance and that lasts. We have, I think, a crisis of masculinity in our culture and men need to show up better for themselves and their families and for other men. Men need men. We need to really take a serious look at our relationship to money, stuff, and things. Every issue that plagues our society is based in this zero sum focus on profit over the things that are of true value. When I paint on the epigenetics of my being now, I can actually encode positive behaviors and patterns that I can pass down into my children. The idea is to bring out a different side of certainly a public figure. Um, who's the man or the woman behind the image that we think they are. We've all been there on, on the other side of it, mm. putting someone up on a pedestal. Your life must be so easy. It must've been so great. It ain't that way. You know, and I, I know that just from my own experience, you know, I was a very successful trader. I had everything I thought I ever wanted mm. and it wasn't any of it. Now that helps me do things, but I, I realized a little over three years ago, I was like, oh, fuck. I did all the things. I achieved way more than I thought I ever could. It feels so fucking empty. Why is that? Why, the, why am I here? And that just took me on the journey of, you know, that, that kind of uh, existential inquiry into my role, my, my, my true purpose or, or, or orienting towards what my purpose is. And I, and I, I heard a great kind of analogy. I was reading, are you familiar with Ajishante? He's a oh. spiritual teacher. He's, 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 I love him, tremendous. But in his, one of his books, he talked about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Yeah. Right? You're probably pretty yeah, familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. And so I had all those resume virtues. Yeah. You know, and, and I think at my eulogy, people would have said some pretty cool things, but I started to orient myself towards that. Like, how do I, how do I really want to show up? Like, who am I beneath all the resume stuff? The resume stuff, I don't need to tell you. Right? You can hide behind that. It's really easy. Mm. Especially you, the fame, the fortune, all that that stuff that you're carrying inside, you can deflect that super easy and get armored up. And, and 
I had much the same thing because I had the nice house, the beautiful wife. I had all the things really fit. That's another thing where people are like, whoa, dude, like you're 45 and jacked and you eat really well and they put you up on that pedestal. Mm. And when, when you don't know how to uh, be in the right relationship with that, you start to attach to, ooh, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And I just got stuck in that, not really knowing who I was, but showing up in a different way mm -hmm. in all these different circumstances. And it's fucking tiring. Feel that. I know you do, brother. <laughs> well, welcome yeah. to the show. I don't know if that'll make it into the, uh, the final edit, but fucking why not? Sounds good. That, uh, that's your opening spiel. Yeah. So we're, we're sitting here with Adrian Grenier, who we met back in November. And since then, have had a lot of opportunity since we live in Austin to spend time together. And while we will get to the Hollywood stuff and entourage, because that's what some of the people are going to want to know about, what really the reason I wanted you to come on, the reason I want to have the conversation, because I know, I know a bit about who the man is behind that. I know the work you're doing in the world now. And I'm particularly interested in the work you're doing with Do Contra Ventures. And so we'll get deep into that today, um, because I think that really speaks to your evolution, your growth. Um, and I want to walk people through what that path really looked like. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it before we got on today. And it's, it's, uh, I don't want you to worry. We're going to cover it all because it's, it was so rich. Uh, we will get to it because I think it's important to give people the real picture of who you are in, in the, the challenges you've had and how you've felt through a lot of this and where you stand today. Or the real picture of who I'm becoming in every moment yeah. as I step into uh, the, maybe the more honest uh, expression of what's inside. Yeah. And do you think 30 year old Adrian would have been able to utter those words without a fucking, I mean, you were a damn good actor, so you probably could have pulled it off, but inside you'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it, when you're asleep, you can dream and, you know, create all of the illusions and think you're living your best life. And then eventually, hopefully you wake up to get to work. <laughs> and, uh, so it took me longer than I thought, but I, I finally woke up uh, in my early 40s. How old are you now? 44. What, what I would love to, and I kind of pinged you on this before, we didn't really get into it, but one of the things that, that I found fascinating is you really came onto the scene with Entourage. And it seems to me, from where I sit, that it was very much a parallel of your actual real life. And so I'm curious, like, how, how did, was that your first major role? Did I miss something before that? Yeah, I'd, I'd been acting for, I guess, seven or so years before Entourage and had done several Hollywood films that you, your, your kids might have known, or maybe back in the day, you know, um, because a couple of teeny bopper movies and some indie films and, I was working steadily, but um, I, I wasn't fully committed to Hollywood and acting. In fact, I had a, a 
a hesitation. I was somewhat leery of Hollywood. There was a sense that uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel ready to fully step into what I knew I was capable of. Um, So I I had to find a, a certain fortitude, a certain strength, a certain identity, strength of identity before I allowed myself to fully um, capitalize on, on acting because really it's, you're not acting. You're in order to be successful in the business, you have to become famous, right? You have to be well-known. Very rarely do you have character actors that you can't quite recognize, but they work a ton. Uh, For the most part, you're, you're selling your ability to get people into the theaters and that's associated with how well they know you. Uh, so I, I knew instinctively that there was a fame element and then I wasn't quite ready for it. And, um, I kept, I said no to a lot of things and I resisted. I resisted for many, many years. I would do things here and there, but then, uh, my, my agent sent me entourage, my manager actually. And I was actually in Mexico, um, on my way to sneak into Cuba to shoot a documentary about Cuban hip hop. And I had about a thousand dollars to my name and he sent me entourage. He's like, have a look at this. What do you think? And I read it. I was like, this is the most superficial, uh, you know, misogynistic, like commercial nonsense. I was like, no, (laughs) it's like, this is not for me. Um, and he says, take, take another look. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's, I, I don't do TV. He's like, it's not TV, it's HBO. And I'm like, I don't have cable. <laughs> I was l- really just, so you, you talk about whether it reflected Is my life. Is that their tagline, by the way? It's not TV, it's yeah, HBO? Exactly. That was fucking yeah. brilliant. Are you still getting paid by them? Because that was, <laughs> that was well-placed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it did not really reflect who I was at the time. Sure. I, I was... I was hipster as, as fuck. I was like indie rock, I was in bands. I was making independent films, documentaries, as I said, about to make a, a, a one on Cuban hip hop. Uh, but I was broke. I was fucking really, really broke. And uh, my manager convinced me, you know, he basically under no, like <laughs> he, he wasn't mincing words. He said, look, basically, if you don't, come do this, you can find yourself another manager because eventually if you keep turning your back on Hollywood, Hollywood will find another, you know, pretty boy. So I recognize that it is maybe my last chance to actually make some money in Hollywood. And I couldn't say no anymore because I said no to everything else. And I said, okay, fine. Can you send me a plane ticket? (laughs) (laughs) And my, my manager I'm, I heard him rolling his eyes. And by the way, this is all over the phone. I had, uh, I was buying those uh, international calling cards on a pay phone. Dude. You know, it, putting in the codes and then it would click out after five, 10 minutes. And then I had to go buy another one. And um, Times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And so that changed my life. Obviously I flew to, to LA. I was staying on his couch. Um, and I guess there was just something about my nonchalance that really intrigued HBO. Um, it's like, how do you cast a celebrity? All, all the celebrities 
that exist are already celebrities and you already know them. So how do you cast this fictional celebrity who's too good to audition? Well, I was way too good to audition. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny. It's like a lot of times actors come in and they're way too eager and they're like so present and on and they want it. and, And it just reeks of effort. And I was just, I literally did not want to do it. I was like, whatever. Okay, cool. So I, I just waltzed in, waltzed in and got the part. And, um, when my, my manager got the word that I got the part, he looked at me and I was spending a lot of time at his office because I didn't have a car. I didn't know anyone in LA, LA, staying on his couch. So I was basically just hanging in his office, uh, checking emails or, you know, going on the internet. And he walks in and he's, and he, for the first time I heard this, Vince. No shit. He called me by what is now one of my names, Vince. And I took a big deep breath and I hung my head because I knew that my life was going to change in no uncertain ways that I like ways that I could not even imagine. Yeah. And he, and he knew that I had hesitation and resistance and he was like, you don't know. And this is very prophetic. He's like, you don't know what you're missing. Your life is going to change and it's, you know, you think you don't want it, but it's all the spoils of what an, like being on a hit show on HBO could get, can bring you. Basically the Vince lifestyle. I was offered the, the lifestyle that, um, you know, anybody who's trying to make it in the business would want. Uh, so, and it beget itself. Like it was like, I became famous by playing someone who was becoming famous. It's, just, it's fascinating. Yeah. And that's, and that was my point. Like you're, you're stepping into this role as this up and comer. And then actually your life is mirroring that. Yeah. yeah. Very meta. Very, which, very meta. Which is fascinating. Yeah. And uh, you know, but ultimately, um, it didn't reflect my life, but it reflected an aspect of me. And that's what you do as an actor. You find the parts within you that, that, that are the character and then you bring those out. So, uh, you know, playing this, um, you know, this playboy, uh, for 10 years, uh, really gave me a chance to indulge those, those parts of myself. And, you know, for, for a lot of, fun uh, a lot of um yeah uh, a lot of learning a lot of levity but then you know ultimately uh you know t- of course having to unlearn all of that as well not to drop the name the of the show but plug yeah <laughs> fucking you're fucking right on point you're a hell of a pitch man <laughs> well that's what i think is is fascinating just the, the way i've gotten to know you is even though there was this tension it's a part you needed to play out so that you actually knew what that was about. And it wasn't calling to you. You had, you know, you were a, a pretty much a pretty boy hippie, right? And, and really vibing with that. But had you never explored that then, what would 44-year-old Adrian be unsure about and, and maybe thinking like the grass is greener over there? Sure. So you've, you've, you went... Yeah. As I mentioned before, you went balls deep into that experience, uh, literally. Uh, <laughs> literally. 
Certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and not to be ungrateful. You know, I, I'm very grateful for my life's experience. Wow. Like what a ride. Like I have seen a lot and have rolled with diplomats and uh, douchebags <laughs> and, you know, um, you know, seen people, you know, party, party, party lifestyle around the world. And by the way, no matter what country you go into, it's the same. <laughs> it's all parties are relatively the same. Um, and yeah, and I, and I guess I had to go through that in order to find myself where I am now, you know, like, I guess like Siddhartha, right? Is it? Yeah. I just had someone on the podcast yesterday who kept bringing up Siddhartha. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, the formula to enlightenment is always the same. Like you go into the depths of darkness and like your worst self. And then eventually you realize, oh, this is not the path. And then you, you need that contrast almost. Unfortunately, uh, you're uh, conscious enough to see that there's the contrast of that, that that's not you. And, and unfortunately, some people never make it out of that. And they're, they're 50, 60, 70 years old. If I may. For, absolutely. It is me. It That's is an right. aspect of me. hundred percent. So I honor that part of me. Yeah. I just choose to highlight or indulge um, a different part of myself. Whereas before I was paid to indulge that part of myself. And then I had the reward and the constant confirmation that I was on the right path by all the fans asking me to be that role for them. So when I would see people on the street and they would say, Vince, what's up? Like they were living vicariously through the show and partly just by the way the show was constructed, the way it was shot, the way it was written, it felt like almost a reality show. And so fans were like so invested in the crew. They felt a camaraderie and a brotherhood. Uh, it felt real. So when I mean, people would come and they'd lose themselves. They'd lose, they, yeah, forget about, um, you know, respectful boundaries. They would literally come and grab me as if I was their best friend, you know, from long lost. Um, so th that reward, that confirmation from the fans, from the world to continue to be that character, because that's what they want. They want that character. So in order to get approval, in order to feel powerful in the world, I would happily indulge. Yeah. That's right. And if I may, I just, I just realized I'm tight. There's four of us that are super tight. And one of our buddies, his nickname is turtle for the very reason that he was always there taking care of shit. He yeah. was the guy. Yeah. Now by default, I, I was Vince. So it's very appropriate <laughs> that we're here together. Yeah. With all due respect, that it, I know Vince. I'm an awakened yeah. Vince. How's okay. that? Okay, cool. <laughs> but back then I wasn't. Now I was yeah. married, so I wasn't doing any of the funny stuff. But yeah, well, and uh, but, but it was an indulgent lifestyle that I was yeah. living for sure. I mean, essentially, celebrities are the royalty of the American dream. You know, yes. they have the spoils of everything that you know capitalism has to offer. And let's let's face it. You know, we're not in a democracy. We're in a capitalocracy. And so if you have access, if you have fame and the commodity of attention, which is huge, especially in our fragmented family structures in this culture and people are more lonely than ever. And so to have attention is like a scarce resource that, you know, people crave. And I had 
way more than my share. You know, I had, yeah, you know, I mean, that's what fame is, is like, and that's probably the most uh, addictive part is approval and, and attention, you know, especially as an only child, you know, and like really enjoyed that. <laughs> so I want to back up a smidge because there was a period of your life that I think is very important for, for, for people to understand where you were. Um, and it was in your, your late teens into your early twenties. Um, you had a, a touch in a space where you, where you really, you know, rest well in today. Um, and you kind of had a fork in the road and you made a decision then. So could you kind of walk us through what that process was like for you? Yeah, I, I guess ever since I was younger, I really uh, um, cu was curious about um, metaphysics and spirituality and uh, telekinesis and like all, all of these um, supernatural powers. Was and, it something your mom was into? Was How did you get a touch My mom on was it? a flower child, a hippie. Yeah, okay. I mean, I did spend some time growing up in an ashram and um, my mom was very connected to her Native American roots. So she often shared stories about our Native American heritage and she was a, a she read tarot cards and an astrologer. So yeah, I had foundation for it. Hell yeah. Um, and then I would, you know, read books and listen to, um, I would, I would, I would read books and um, explore um, like uh, Ed Edgar Cayce or uh, he, he was a psychic, I guess. Is he yeah. familiar uh, with a, okay. a medium psychic. Sure. Um, and I, I guess there's part of me that wanted to do magic and wanted to bend spoons with my mind or something. And I was really interested in uh, pre-Atlantean civilizations and spirits that could, you know, <laughs> use crystal energy to to move objects and, um, and meditation. And, and so, um, when I was about 20 or so, I did my first, my first and only, uh, Vipassana 10 day silent meditation retreat. And, um, yeah, I was, I was on the path to continuing that work, uh, except it was sort of in conflict with my other interests, which were music and partying at 20 years old, wanting, you know, finally get in an apartment with the, with the, with the guys and my, my roommates. And were you guys in New York? In New York. Yeah. yeah I was, I think we pioneered Williamsburg and it was like 98 or something. And, um, yeah, I was really interested in, you know, going out and tour and living that lifestyle, rock and roll, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And so when I was driving home from the, the retreat and it was a absolutely profound experience. Uh, I, I was, I, I recognized the power and the importance of this kind of, uh, practice, uh, a commitment to discipline, ascetic, uh, uh, you know, just shedding and letting go of all of the earthly possessions and being present and all the things. And, on my way home, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that on tour. How am I going to do that while still being in a rock band and wanting to party and meet girls? And so I guess it was a very fateful, subtle decision. It wasn't even a big 
you know, I didn't even declare it into the, to the sky. I just, I just said, oh yeah, that doesn't work, but I'll do it in the next life. I'll do meditation and discipline in the next life. In this life, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Literally the next life. And then reincarnation, like I'll, I'll pick I'll, it up then. I mean, I was believe, I believe, yeah. I still believe Same. that, you know, we have many lives and, and I was like, well, if, if I do believe in reincarnation and I have another life, then why do I need to rush? Why does, I don't need to rush enlightenment. I'll, I'll just indulge in this life and the next life I'll, figure it out. Yeah. Because it feels like at any point, like you can go that route, but it's not often that you're offered this life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. I mean, I mean, for me, it's like that, that's interesting. So I want to, I want to know what that's about because I can always fall back on that if this doesn't work out or in the next lifetime, but I don't know if the next lifetime is going to offer this yes. to me. Right. Of course, that's the rational mind, the, the flaws of, of, our ego think thinking that we can, you know, like make, like form, like find the formula that will, that will, that that way you can have your cake and eat it too, you know? And, you know, that's a pitfall, I think, uh, of the thinking mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so then you went on that path. I did. And, and it's amazing when you make, when you set an intention, that shit comes, comes, that comes real, that becomes real. And so I set that intention and and I've excelled at sex, drugs, and rock and roll for the next 20 years and essentially all, all but left that spiritual life behind. Um, I was spiritually-ish, spiritual-ish, but, um, you know, I, I distinctly chose to not do any of the inner work or the leveling up that um, I, that I had to finally ultimately do in, in my late, in my mid early forties. Um, and that's the thing is I, I always thought another life would be after I die this, after I leave this physical meat suit and then I'm reincarnated into another meat suit. But now I realize, Oh, I've been reborn in this body and now I can. Um, so my other life has come and here I am. And now I'm doing the work. (laughs) Yeah, you are, brother. <laughs> not and as not as fun, but deeply, deeply rewarding. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, and I think I th- I think the one of the things that 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 I've been working on is is being able to hold both of those in in life, right? Not choosing one or the other, and being able to play in a space that you know, maybe is a different version of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but still have that kind of fun energy, but in the right relationship and also mm-hmm. live this life that is very purpose-driven and um, kind of conscious, awakened, whatever, whatever the fucking buzzword is today, but be able to mm-hmm. flow with all of it, mm-hmm. right? It's not hunker down and be like, I'm just, I'm just a woke dude right now. And I'm just surrounding myself with those types of people. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I just, I want to be able to show up as me in any space that I'm in. And I don't have to, um, yeah, make a decision on, on either or. Well, the way I see it is it's being embodied and whole, meaning you have the layers of you, which, you know, is also sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it's just a matter of how you, um, play with the levers, how you calibrate your life to be in balance 
you know, when, when you're just totally on one frequency, uh, you know, and, and you're in at the loss of all the other aspects of yourself, you're in balance. Right. And so it becomes destructive. I still party. I still, you know, have a great time. I mean, yeah, buddy, I know that, you know, I, 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 you know, dancing is such an important aspect to, to my vitality. Um, and you know, sex too, Yeah, you know, just different kinds of sex, different intention, different, uh, mindfulness when, when I engage in, in the, 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 the pleasures and the, the hedonism, it's, it's more consensual and, and mindful and respectful to myself and to others, as opposed to just pleasure seeking, you know, just escapism, numbing. Like the, you know, I lived to, to feel nothing, you know, to escape the existential angst through all of the indulgences. Uh, now I, I, I seek to increase sensation. I want to feel more, more depth and, um, and hold that, you know, be able to really, you know, f- live fully by feeling all of it. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm wanna, in a moment, I want to get to um, Jordan mm-hmm. because we're talking about sex and it's like a perfect segue. But before we, before we get there, <laughs> I love you, Jordan. Before we get there, what, what, like what allowed you, what was it that, that was the, that changed that lens for you where it was no longer those indulgences and it was more about, you know, it wasn't the external validation. It's like, I, I want more depth. I want more feeling. I, 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 there's something more to me. Was there a, a crisis moment where it came to you or was it a gradual piece? Yeah. I mean, I, I was living with a subtle and not so subtle sense of dread for a long time. You know, uh, something just wasn't right. Like, 10, 15 years? Yeah. I mean, at least 10 years. Yeah. I was like, this, things are too perfect. Everything is just too amazing and too much fun. And, you know, and, and I kept thinking, well, I'm getting older. Maybe, maybe I'll get sick. Maybe, maybe I'll die tomorrow. Like, I don't know. Like, what is this looming anxiety that's subtle, but present? And I literally like had the best life, like opportunities, success, uh, you know, all the things, but something wasn't settled. And I think what it was is that um, I knew that eventually I was going to have to wake up from the dream, you know, and that I was sleeping too long. Like, you know, you know, when you're sleeping through your alarm clock. <laughs> and yeah. it's going off and it's going off and you're incorporating the, the alarm clock into oh, your dream. Yes. And, yes. it's, and it's ringing somewhere. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what is that thing? Um, that That's how like my thirties were, uh, at least my mid to late thirties. And it's like, something is g- gotta give. And it was scary. I didn't want to know. And that thing came, it came eventually. And what it was is realizing that I had to grow up finally, become a man, not just, a, uh, the image of a man or, or the facade of a adult, but really a, a, a divine masculine adult figure, which means I had to do my duty to make right of the world and to give of myself to serve um, a partner and to 
uh, create a family and take responsibility for the moment as opposed to just always getting away with it, getting away with something. Yeah. And as an actor, you could probably play that part really well. Very well. (laughs) And so maybe this is a, this is probably a better segue into Jordan because I know that um, I I know the history of your relationship, but you guys spent a lot of time together. And then there was a moment where she's like, we're not doing this anymore. And what was that like? Yeah. Cause that was, that was the wake up Um, moment. Yeah, Yeah, it it was, it was. Or a wake up Um, moment. It was, because my, li- my, my life was sort of trucking along and in my mind, okay, now maybe I'd have children and family, even though I was essentially um, committed to being polyamorous, being in an open style relationship. Um, and in retrospect, it was just because I didn't want to have to take responsibility for, you know, what it takes to actually be in a, a relationship. and and be able to serve my partner. I just wanted to serve my own ego and my own um, pleasure seeking um, escapism. Um, and I really did believe at the time that you, we could just live in a constant state of pleasure and crack the codes of life and just be happy all the time. I just, I don't believe that's possible anymore. That's not how life works again. Well, maybe not through that that, that portal, maybe there is a, a way to do that, but it's, 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 it's in a way that you or I haven't really tapped into yet. Cause I feel like it's gotta be there, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's at the level of our kind of consciousness or whatever, where we just, we have this lack of attachment anyway. That, well, well I, I think, you know, we need, I, I mean, this is what I believe, but roots you know you need to ground yourself and if you're constantly floating off of the ground um it's really hard to establish those roots and have actually a a healthy you know personal growth and um and that requires because you know we live in balance between the forces right so you don't want to be so grounded that you, you know, lose all your open, uh, you know, ability to respond and be creative and explore the possibilities of life. But also you don't want to be so unhinged that you can't actually build anything that is of substance and that lasts. Um, and, and I also recognize that yes, life is infinite and we do reincarnate and transmute over and over again probably forever through infinity, um, which means now is there's no better time than now to actually do the work because there's no time pressure. You know, I was living a life where I was like, I better get all my rocks off over and over again and consume as much as possible because shit, man, I'm going to die. And then it's over. Scarcity. Yeah. Scarcity of time. Right. Um, as opposed to no, now I want to actually fully be present in this moment, be honest and accurate for what is so that I can actually do whatever work I need to do karmically so that my future self doesn't have to work as hard. So my children can um, yield the benefits of my work today. When I 
paint on the epigenetics of my of my being now, I can actually encode positive behaviors and patterns that I can pass down into my into my children. Um, so that's that's the difference now. Is it like indulge now and like not worry about the future, or work now and you know bequeath the gift into the future? It almost feels like what we're we're feeling on a global level here, where we're we're writing checks right now that future self can't yeah, cash. That's right. Kicking yeah. the can down the road. Mm-hmm. We're mortgaging our, our future. Yeah. Now back to, I got us a little off track there, but back wasn't so much an ultimatum with Jordan. It was more like, look, bro, you ain't all that. <laughs> and what did that feel like? Oh, she, I thought she was out of her mind. <laughs> Why was she out of her mind? I was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm the best. She, she's like, no, actually you're the worst. <laughs> and, and it was just like, I could not compute. I was like, what are you talking about? I have the fame. I have the house. I have the, the bank account. I have like, I know everybody in every town and we can get a table anywhere. What do you, you know, I, I'm offering you all of this and me, you know, and she wanted more. Yeah, she was the one woman who actually wanted more of me. Yeah, she, right. She didn't just accept all of my bad behavior just to have a chance to like be in my presence, like a lot of fangirls, you know, or um, people who maybe um, have been, and this is maybe another conversation, you know, a lot of people have been conditioned to accept the worst of men because that's how we've shown up for however many generations. So they just accept that and, um, and they don't expect more. Yes. Um, and, and rightfully so, because, you know, we, we, we have to men, by the way, hello out there. We need to level up. We need to give, um, women something to believe in something, you know, more from us. Uh, and that, that requires a lot of, collective work. We all have to do that. But anyway, long story short, she was the one woman who expected more of me. And so she said, I'm not going to take your shit. I'm leaving and leave it to a woman to find the parts of you that are inauthentic or bullshit or parts of you that you haven't like, you know, that you're, you're, you're playing small and they, they like, they want more. And, um, and it's not that they want more of that thing. Like you said, they want, they, 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 they want what's in there. Who's mm-hmm. it? What's because I get all this and it's fucking congratulations on that. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to be able to play in that. And I am grateful for it, but what's underneath all that? Mm-hmm. Because everybody else gets to see this, but I want what's in there. Yeah. And she was the one. Yeah. And she, she was the one who, would not accept anything less than all of me. In the time that I've got to spend with her, which has been amazing, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, she's such a strong woman and gets such a beautiful soul and mm-hmm. energy. And yeah. I know Peyton really loves spending time with her and you. And mm-hmm. so without kind of uh, derailing this part of the conversation, I want you to, yeah, like, what was it like when you woke up? Because again, you had the resistance at first. You're like, I'm getting told by 
Everybody else mm-hmm. except you. By the way, you're mm-hmm. crazy if you're thinking this because everybody else thinks I'm fucking awesome and yep. anybody else yep. would die for this. And, <laughs> and what I've been taught, right? what we've been taught is provide. We're men, we're providers. Yeah. And look at, well, look at what I, I mean, I'm over providing right now. I'm giving you access to a life mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have. Yep. She's like, yeah. And it's fun and I'm, it's cool, yeah. but that's not what I want. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, she left me and I had time to sit with myself. And again, this dread, now this dread, she like the dread started to become more that, that alarm clock <laughs> that was going off. Oh, cause the, 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 the puzzle, the, the pe- there's starting to be some chips in the foundation. It's like, whoa, okay. This is someone who I really connected with yeah. is calling me out yeah. on something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's getting a little wobbly. When, when was this just for time's sake? How long ago? Two and a half, maybe almost three years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she, she hit me with such a wallop karmically. She hit my soul so hard that I, for the first time, cracked an eye open, like half a, like groggy as fuck, having been asleep at the wheel for 30 years. And I could just barely realize that, oh my God, I'm actually not awake, which gave it, gave me just enough of a glimpse into what was actually going on that I could start to do more of the work, which I guess sent me into my, uh, you know, catabasis, my transformation, my descent into the underbelly of my soul. Yeah. Talk about, um, how do you pronounce that word again? Catabasis, I guess. That's what Cause I, I hadn't heard of it until, you know, I was, you know, reading through, uh, the Ducantra, uh, deck and it talks about, you talk about that was the real awakening. And I would love for you to share like, what is what did that look like for you? How scary was it? And then like, what did that process look like? Cause at some point it was like, phew, okay, mm-hmm. this is it. This mm-hmm. is that thing. This is that splinter, like in, in, uh, in the matrix where Morpheus is talking about there's that splinter and you just don't know what it is, yeah. but you know, something's not fucking right. Yeah. yeah it's a, the, the breakdown, you know, <laughs> uh, rock bottom. Uh, you know, I was, I was saying I've, maybe yesterday or the day before I was like, my, like f- for my, you know, for the most of my adult life, I didn't have a rock bottom because I would hit rock bottom and I would just, you know, sort of like nestle up on the hard floor and continue to sleep. I just wouldn't wake up for whatever reason. And, um, I mean, I guess it's just a testament to how powerful Jordan is that I was, she was finally able to shake me enough to, to, to wake up. Um, and, and that meant, that meant that I had to get clean, essentially, um, start to let go of and shed all of the, the devices and the habits that kept me numb and asleep and unfeeling and blind. And, and, and that's painful. Like they're, they're, uh, you know, withdrawals and, uh, disciplines that were uncomfortable and it was, it, 
was work. Were there any in particular that were like, you're like, I don't like you're trying to fucking shake it. And, and it's just like, I don't know if I can get rid of this particular, was there anything in there that was like particularly hard? Uh, I mean, all of it. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I, I spent two years of struggle and you know, I had to entirely change my worldview, reorient my whole perspective on the world and myself. Whereas before I believed that I was God, the best, the smartest guy in the room, the most influential that I could do anything and would live forever, you know, essentially, um, to realizing, oh, wow, I'm mortal. I'm vulnerable. I have to humble myself. And start to really cultivate some of the parts of myself that were totally atrophied. And, and, and it was for the, for the first time I started to let in the notion of God into my life. Mm. Um, something bigger than myself um, and humble myself to that power, the higher power, the, the, the God, oneness, Gaia, whatever you call it. Um, and, and that was, you know, just a lot of, um, time spent exploring those ideas again from when I was younger. Yeah. So you had, you definitely had a nice basis to be able to, to kind of tap into. Yes. And I wonder, I just know my own process, how much of a fraud I felt mm. like when on the, on the outside, I don't think people would have considered me a fraud, but just all that self judgment. And I, and I just, just understanding your story mm. in that just a, a long runway of that lifestyle. Yeah. How hard was that to, oh, yeah. to sit with? Yeah. Uh, it, it was a lot of loss. It felt like uh, mourning, you know, I had to mourn for two years at least the, my youth, um, the experiences, the highs, um, the, the praise, you know, it was lonely. It felt really lonely. And I, I guess one of the most important, um, uh, exercises or things that I did was, um, I, I did a, a bout of celibacy. So I, decided to intentionally not have sex. Um, it wasn't an incel type thing. Like this was like an intentional thing. So <laughs> I, um, did you last longer than nine days? Cause that's what, when Aubrey said, and Aubrey's talked about it on the podcast, so I feel free to, to mention that, but he went for celibacy and he, poor guy lasted nine days. Oh, really? No, I, I did. He didn't, couldn't get to 10. I understand how, yeah. Cause it, I did three months. Um, I, and I've done two bouts now, um, well through, through my, my work over the past two years, I did two bouts of celibacy. Um, the first one, uh, you know, for the first time and, and, and just quite frankly, I mean, look at Vince, right? I mean, that wasn't me, but you know, that was a part of me, right? So, um, since I became sexually active at a young age, I, you know, just, it, 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 I never said no, let's just say, you know, rarely did there I say a lot no. of girls out there like, fuck, I should have went up to him at that <laughs> bar. Cause he wouldn't have said no. God damn it. Well, you know, it was, it was a, it was a belief system. I believed, you know, pleasure was the ultimate goal. 
you know, felt good. Everyone's like feeling good, right? This is amazing. Well, and that's the thing too, when you're going through that, that two-year period is your whole belief system is a fucking house of cards. You start mm-hmm. to question some of them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this whole thing is bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Then who the fuck am I? Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was about to enter my first bout of celibacy, I was nervous. <laughs> it's like, fuck. Like, it's interesting you use the word bout. because It seems like it's if you're fucking going in for a prize fight. Is there, <laughs> is there maybe? Well, it felt like work. I don't know. Period of, I don't know. A period of celibacy. I, I, um, I ended up meeting uh, a teacher named Alana Mehta. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, we were at some event and I, what do you do? And she said, oh, you know, I do work with like, uh, um, I don't think she said sex therapist, but I, I essentially told her that I was going to be doing this, um, this period of celibacy and that I w- could use some support, you know, someone to help me create a container and uh, hold me accountable and help me develop a process to be successful. And she said, yeah, I could totally help you. And so we started working together and she did just that. She helped me uh, create the, uh, you know, just basically the method through which I could actually be the most successful in this process and, uh, and, and process the discoveries, embody the discoveries and um, do some body work practices to move the energy, move the sexual energy. And ended up working with her for several months. And I was to varying degrees committed. I, 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 I did not actually have sex, but I was still escaping in other ways. Okay. You know? Cause um, that's the idea with this, right? Especially for someone who's sexually active and has no problem getting into that space. It's like, okay, we're going to, you take that out of your life. So there's not the distraction, the numbing, the whatever it is. And you have to sit with Mm -hmm. you Yes. Mm -hmm. without that external validation of, oh, you're the best. It's like, okay, who am I without any of that? Right. And that, you know, that also means that I had to take a serious look at, you know, pornography and masturbation and how I was using that to numb out and escape. And, um, you know, and then, and then once you remove it and you're sitting with yourself, what's coming up and what feelings were you avoiding and what are those feelings, where do they root down into? Like from what, so it, you know, it's definitely a lot of shadow work, a lot of past, um, a lot of, you know, father issues, you know, a lot of abandonment issues and, uh, and, as I began to do that work with Alana, um, she, she helped me get to connect into some childhood trauma that I went through. And, and I realized through that work, and it was one of the most profound um, experiences. And I am forever grateful to Alana for uh, guiding me through that and, and holding me through that process because it was extremely painful. And she's just so um, masterful and uh, she, she, she brings such wisdom in, in, um, in just how she showed up for me that uh, I was able to, for the first time, 
connect into that pain body, that experience from when I was maybe eight or nine. And she brought me, like she, she guided me there. And when I went into that experience, that basically that memory, I felt myself drop into my body and it was horrible. It was so painful to be that eight-year-old in that experience, utterly in pain and fear and anxiety. And I realized that it was that moment that I decided I didn't want to feel anymore, that I didn't want to be in my body. So that's when I leapt out and I just remained 10 feet out of my body for 30 years. And everything that I'd been doing from that point on was just a way to continue to escape the feeling that, 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 that trauma. So not only was it really painful to finally drop into my body and feel that, but it was now a chance for me to actually rebuild from that moment because I could actually feel again. Uh, and I could start, uh, cultivating my intuition again. And I could start feeling right and wrong in the world, uh, make discern, you know, having discernment in the world, as opposed to just being asleep and doing whatever. Cause I couldn't feel, you know, I could put my hand on the fire and I wouldn't even know I was burning cause I didn't feel anything. Was that memory, um, was it kind of lost in the memories? Were you aware of it and you just, or was this thing like, I had totally forgot about this thing and, and it came to. So the reason I, I ask is because I, I went through a, an experience back in December where I was, I was, was in a meditation and um, it came to me childhood sexual trauma yep. that um, I, I knew about. It's not that, it, but I, I hadn't thought about it in, you know, 35 years, yeah. but it was so clear to me, the connection of that to where I forked off yeah. was like, Oh, sensual is not right. Everything is sexual. Yep. And it became very much that pleasure seeking and not, and very disconnected from my body mm -hmm. and that way. And so I, that, that, um, that just, the, the, that's the only reason I ask is from, yeah. from my own experience with that. So I knew about it. I yeah. remembered it in my head abstractly as a memory and I'd rationalized it and made it okay. Um, but I, I hadn't actually felt the experience. Uh, and Alana had basically, I don't think she'd mind if I say this, but she, you know, she did some magic. I mean, some <laughs> pure wizard, some, wizardry. Some literal magic. Yeah, yeah, where she was able to embody that figure from my, my childhood. And, you know, and much in like a role play where she became that dark figure in my life and placed, and I was placed back into my childhood self. And whew, suddenly my whole body went numb with fear. It was like deer in headlights. And 
in the moment of the exercise. And I was beside myself. I mean, I was in my body, but I was still witnessing and I was still conscious. And so she was asking me, now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And my body just wanted to shut down and do nothing. I was like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't, I had no agency because I'm, I'm eight. And then I realized now I'm me. <laughs> I'm not eight. So now I get to choose again. I need to, I can make a different choice. And, and she was pushing me like, what are you going to do? Challenging me, challenging me. And I was scared shitless, like literally petrified. I'm a grown ass adult and I was, a, I was scared of her. <laughs> you were back in that eight year old. Yeah. yeah. And she pushed me into the point where I made a new choice and I stood up and I stood up for myself in that moment. And I, I, uh, um, you know, I exerted my, my strength, my power. Dude. And I think one of the things you talked about is um, our little minds are amazingly adaptive because that experience is so hard to hold on to that you rationalize it. You do whatever you have to do to package it away and hope it goes away. And it doesn't, but it allows you to live because you feel like you're going to die. And that's, it's... I mean, it's one of the the brilliant parts of of the mind. Uh, unfortunately, unprocessed, it becomes this kind of thing that you're carrying for the rest of your life. If if you if you're not able to tap into that, yeah. Well, one thing that humans do very badly is process trauma. <laughs> uh, animals do it quite well, naturally, um, because they're living on that razor's edge. They're living in that constant fight flight, and you know. Um, their their mortality is more <laughs> uh, apparent. They don't have shit to, dist- they don't have iPhones to distract uh, themselves. Right, right. But we can just like bury it and layer it and pretend that everything's okay, but we haven't really dealt with it. Um, so it, it requires that we put in the, put in the work and, uh, uh, and, and use, um, process, process it in, in various ways. That's what I think spiritual work is. That's what men's work is. That's what all of this work is, is getting to the layers of ourselves that we've forgotten to, to deal with. And they're coming out and creating patterning and habits in our, in our adult lives that aren't serving us. Yeah. Yeah, And so you've been deep in the work for, for the last handful of years. Um, myself as well. And so uh, I'd love for you to share, like what, what, what is, what do these practices look like for you? And I know men's groups are super important. They're important to me. I know they're important to you and mm-hmm. I encourage anyone out there. Uh, in fact, I just got a note from someone who had listened to a, a solo cast I put out in, I think in December. And I just talked about the importance of brotherhood and what that's meant to me, mm-hmm. like true brotherhood. Yeah. And uh, he said he was so inspired that he went out and found that he's in Australia, found that yeah. and his life has changed. Yeah. It's like, you have to be intentional about that. And it doesn't have to be a group, you find one and then you bring on another, but you just yeah. start to have that connection where I see you, you see me. And it's so different than the way men generally hang out with 
whether it's golf trips with booze or what I kind of seem to always bring that up, but <laughs> you know, and they can, those, those are fun too, but it, it's just the way we architect our weekends together and our nights out. It's not about that deep connection. We're out at bars. It's like, let's not go to a bar, come over to the house. Let's spin some vinyl. We'll have a couple cocktails here. We'll maybe smoke a volcano. Like we'll, <laughs> We'll just vibe. Yeah. We'll listen to our music. We won't have people coming up distracted, especially if we're going out with you. It's like, we don't need people, <laughs> fanboys coming yeah. up. Yeah. But um, what do those practices look like for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a matter of finding, it's not just men, but you know, humans and men in particular, because I need to do a lot of work within myself to become uh that divine masculine because I didn't have the role models and didn't have the brotherhood, the healthy modeling for what it means to be a, a healthy, constructive, spiritually aligned, heart centered man. Um, and so first it's just redesigning your life, like be, becoming the architect for your life. Like, what do you want? What is your vision? What is your higher order of vision to, you know, strive for? And whereas before it was, oh, sex, drugs, money, you know, power. That was what I was taught. It's like whatever's right in front of me. And it's just that consumption and the instant right. gratification right. versus- Zero sum game, get it now because someone else will get it if you don't. Uh, and then parlay your power to like exploit everything around you to get more power. And, um, and it's a linear zero sum mess. Right? It only ends in- you know, a landfill. So, um, first of all, having to architect my life differently and then start to find the people, the humans, the men who want to help me achieve those higher loftier goals. And it's, you know, it just ha so happened is usually men who have similar goals or who want more for themselves and recognize the, uh, the infinite nature of our souls so that we can actually start to, to play and build together a new type of experience here on, on earth. And so in my shedding during my, my work of my own identity, my own old identity, my own egos, ego deaths, and then shedding a lot of the materialism that I'd accumulated. And then friends as well, like letting go of friends that would hold me down or want me to indulge their bad behavior. So we would, it would be sort of a self-serving, like we would be serving the dark parts of ourselves. So I had to let go of those friends and then find new friends. And, and that was just a, a process of reaching out and getting a sense of the kinds of men that I really wanted to surround myself with. And reaching out and, and humbly being like, look, I'm new to this. I'm, I feel very um, in, in, inept, <laughs> uh, like unskilled. Uh, I was in a new body. I was in a new mindset. I was unfamiliar with all of this. And so humbly like, hey, you know, I see you and what you're doing and you feel like you're on the spiritual path and you're leveling up and will you help me? And those kind of men will always help you. They'll always 
reach out and say, yes, I'm here for you. And what, and I don't want to gloss over what you're talking about here is it's, it takes real courage for men who are solution oriented to say, I need help. I feel inept. I feel inadequate to be able to go in this space. And I should know how, because look at all I've no. It's like you, you let go of all that and you reached out and said, I need help. And then I would, I'm guessing that your experience was, as you said, these men were showing up and now all of a sudden you're drawing these men in, you're drawing these people in. you're starting to no longer have to seek Mm -hmm. out because you're in this space where you're putting out a particular energy frequency where you're no longer attracting the other type, the ones who were just on a different path at the time. It was the lost boys and, you know, Peter Pan. I mean, it's like just, you know, diminished little, you know, um, man children (laughs) that were my friends and, you know, I love you guys. Like we're cool. Uh, but you know, but you were one of them too. I, I, and and yeah. I've been one of them. Yeah, and exactly. I think that's, I don't want that to get lost for people. It's like, we, it's not, it's that we have uh, compassion for where everybody's sure. at in their journey and not that we're more spiritual yeah. woke or yeah. whatever, but right now what's important to me is what's happening right here. Yeah. And so if, if you're not down with that, that's totally cool. I love you. Mm-hmm. We'll, f- yeah. we'll catch up another time. But, but also like I expect more of myself and then therefore I expect more of the people I surround myself with. And because I love my friends, I want more for them. Not to say that I'm better than them or, but w- when you know that when you see someone who's not fulfilling their greatest potential, I, I think you have an obligation to at least um, share that. Not that you have to tell them how to be, but when they feel you pull away, when they sense that something's changed, to be honest about it, you know? Not yeah. say, oh, it's not, it's not you, it's me, you know, or gaslight them. But hey, you know, I love you and I want, you know, I want to share what I'm learning with you. It's just, that's a, it's, it's a fucking heavy lift, man. It's like the, the way I look at it. And I know, I know exactly what you're saying because I've, I've had similar feelings, but, but I feel like the best thing I can do is be the best representation of the work that I'm doing. And if, and when they're called to take a step in a different direction, they know where to find me. Yeah. And I think that way, because it's so hard to articulate to them what like, cause you're coming at it with an open heart. You're like, fuck man, I, I know where you're at because I've been there and you can do it better, but it's like this cosmic timing. They have to do it on their own time. And it's like playing, playing your own instrument and letting them when that clicks and resonates are like, Oh, motherfucker, I'm in. I'm ready. Yeah, no, it's tricky. Uh, you know, certainly you don't want to teach or preach. Yeah, you'll sound like a preacher right. and they'll be like, you fucking lost your mind. Go fucking sell that somewhere else. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, I, and I, and I, yeah, I just want to double down on what you're saying and that just to ha- be present, you know, coming from that place. Um, cause when I look back the past 30 years of all the men that, you know, perhaps I craved, you know, particularly adult father figures, sure. you know, mentors that I just wanted them to show up and be there and show me or to be present. And maybe they were, maybe they were there and I just was, you know, you not receiving them. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but we have, I think, a crisis of masculinity in our culture and men need to show up better for themselves and their families and for other men. Men need men. We need each other. We need to level up together and it's hard. It's hard work. So we need to support each other and hold each other accountable. Uh, and so that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we need to like make anybody do anything. No, and I don't think it came across that way, yeah. but I'm glad you, you, you circle back on that. And I think I think we would both agree. And I don't think it's because we're in this like echo chamber of a community, but I feel like men are stepping up. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that from my brothers that don't live here in Austin Mm -hmm. in the work that they're doing and um, how they're supporting other men and how they're showing up a little bit differently for their wives and their kids. And, um, and so I recognize that, but I do think um, when you put out, that energy without words. Cause it, it, it's a, people feel that first, the words, the words can feel like a lot of judgment. Um, I know I've, yeah, people f- get defensive and you lose them when they, you know, yeah, we've, I've felt that in the past. I felt like, Whoa, fuck you, dude. Like you don't know me and <laughs> you know, but he actually did or she did. But, but I think I'm glad we touched on men's work. Cause that's how you and I met. And, um, without disclosing anything beyond that. Um, I think it's been so, such an important part of my life, especially in the past six months, just the, the men that I'm surrounded by. And I feel like that I'm attracting because I'm just showing up as me and just trying to be, you know, just in integrity. And I'm, finding that I'm surrounded by men that are showing up the same way. It's like, Oh, that's fucking like, uh, honestly, like I pinch myself. I'm like, how did I end up in a community with such incredible men? Like I didn't know, first of all, cynically, you know, having not only father figures who left my dad, you know, so the abandonment issues, but also adult male role models who taught me how to be macho or to womanize or worse who were inappropriate with me sexually. Like those were the men (laughs) that I grew up with. Yeah. And so I would seek out men who were safe, were soft, safe, sweet, but had had no edge, had no, they were not, they they were not, they were not powerful and, and um, weak. And there's, you know, the worst, I think, the most destructive men are weak. They know? are, and they're, they've been emasculated yes. by, by, the, by society and they feel like they don't have a voice and, and it's, it's unfortunate because the society doesn't need them to be quiet. They yeah. need them to stand up in their power, not their force, right. in their power, their masculine nature. Right. Um, we need a lot more of that. Yeah. And I you, do think it's being cultivated. Right, use their strength and their power through 
their hearts and use wisdom to build the world, you know, in, in the image of a higher conscience consciousness, um, not in, in like, you know, higher shareholder value, but in something deeper and richer. Let's roll into do contraventures. Yeah. Because as I said, that was really, um, Sure, I could have you on and we could, we could fucking stroke each other about entourage and all this. But at the end of the day, like I think the, and I shared this with you, the, the reason I want this, that I, one of the reasons I did the podcast is I want to share what people are doing, the people that I've met that have changed my life or they're doing great work in the world or someone who is really well known. Who is the person behind that? What is they're, you know, where are they stepping into in their life? And this, I think is such a perfect representation of all the work you've done. And I love, and I, and I, and I told you, it was like, when you explain the fee structure, when you sent it over, I was like, oh, that's, I don't, I didn't get it. And then we had a conversation about it and it totally landed for me. So I'd love for you to share the work you guys are mm-hmm. doing over there. Yeah. So, uh, do contraventures is an impact investment company with sort of a, a twist, I guess we're, we're, we're seeking YBM, which is yields beyond money. So instead of how investments are, are normally done, where we focus on profit, focus on the returns, ROI return on investment, we want to go deeper and, re- and, and, return money to its rightful place. So get into right relationship with money, not as a goal, but as a tool. Money is a tool. And the way we see it, the spirit of the tool is determined by the hand of the user. So when we go out and we deploy capital, when we invest, when we use money, it's not the money that's changing the world. It's the person who's putting forth that money as an intention. So, you know, just back to what we were talking about, when you make an intention, it becomes reality. And when you use money to fulfill your intentions, it really sort of takes hold. So we are, um, we're really taking seriously about, uh, we're really taking seriously our relationship to money itself. So healing that relationship so that we can start to make impact, um, not only with our investments, but within our community, within each other. So essentially blending impact investment, investment with personal transformation and community. Uh, and that's sort of the, the novel business model. And one of the ways we're doing that is we're taking um, more of the profit and investing it into um, either nonprofits or uh, philanthropy or adjusted yields. So companies that need support, but may not have the standard uh, returns that um, you know, a, a conventional investment um, company would look for. Yeah, that, that, that would attract investors like us. Like, oh yeah, I'll do that. It looks like it's a 20, 25% return. Right. They don't have that, but they have businesses that are important for the community. Exactly, yes. And so just, just to put it in plain terms for, for people listening. A yeah. tr- a, By the way, did I, should I say that again? I don't know if I, it, if it came off, I, I haven't pitched this uh, before. Like, no, this. no, you're doing great. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. You're doing great. Did it make sense? Okay. It did. But I would say just, just um, to really one-on-one it, mm-hmm. 
a traditional fund is, you know, you invest a hundred grand and when the returns come back, the, uh, the promote as they call would be of the, you know, if, if, if it makes a hundred grand, right, you get your hundred grand back. And then of the hundred grand that comes out, 20% goes to the, uh, the fund. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then the investor keeps 80%. That would be traditional. But in your model, it's different. I give you a hundred grand and there's a hundred grand of profit. How does that get split up? Right. So this is undefined as of now. Okay. Um, So it's very important to us that we, uh, that we work with our community. So we, we don't see, we don't see the investors as like separate from the founders and the entrepreneurs. And we really see this as like a collective effort and how we're retelling our story of money, how we're retelling uh, our civilization. Like what are we building together? So what we intend is we to, we want to, we want more than more. So we, we don't just want to make profits. We actually want to take some of our, our returns, some of our profits and collectively decide how we want to deploy it in new and novel ways to create more impact. And our return is not just financial. It's also the felt experience of the impact, which means we're asking our investors and our founders to get together uh, in space, like actually commune and share uh, in this community so that we can all, all start to really have an experience of what it is to, to, to change the business model. Yeah. And I love what, what the way you explained it before we got on was it's really taking a traditional fund structure and this philanthropy piece that many people who have some net worth will give away a a decent amount to, to nonprofits and charities, which I had shared, you know, my tension around nonprofits is they're not really well run by and large, and they, they don't really have the impact. And so what I was really interested in, in, in just in your history and the, the funds that you guys have done, the businesses you've invested in, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mission and purpose behind them sure. and they're, they're, they're changing their communities. And so for me, I feel way more willing to give up a bigger chunk of the profit because I'm going to give money away anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, frankly, I don't really have a vehicle that feels great. And there's a couple that I like, but, but by and large to be able to have something that is having a much greater impact because now we've all vetted it and we're all like this business, this community can use this money in this particular way. So it's, it's a way to, because I told you, man, like I make investments, I get returns and then I just make more investments and then I get more returns mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, so, I'm making more money, but at a certain point, it's just a game. So how can I tap into that felt experience, that philanthropic piece that isn't just pissing money away because they don't know what they're going to do with the, the the charity doesn't know what they're going to do. It's actually, it's really well designed. And so I think that for me was the real hook. Yeah. Well, um, I think, well, first of all, about charities, uh, I believe the reason why charities don't do as well as they could is because they're nonprofits. 
<laughs> they're, they're, um, they have a really hard time paying for success and investing in success because they're constantly raising money. And because of the, the amounts of money that, you know, flow through, which is a very small percentage of the world's economy, uh, they end up, they, they can't hire the talent that these big corporations can. Uh, I think we'd solve a lot more of the world's problems if people were incentivized or could make a living doing some of this, you know, philanthropy work. Um, but also ultimately when talking about investment, <clears throat> um, we, we, we want to let money flow, like money needs to flow and start creating the world. Right. So, but we're so worried about re the return of it that we're not actually letting it go, letting it go where it needs to go. And that means maybe in the hands of, um, people who are doing small businesses or, you know, we're talking about like, you know, not yeah, give us an example yeah. of like something that, that, that may yeah. be on the table, not entirely defining the structure yet, because we want to do that in collaboration with all of our investors and entrepreneurs as well. So over the next seven to 10 years, we're going to figure out what it, how exactly we're going to deploy this capital together. Um, but the idea is we're committing to doing it together. Um, so you can invest in either you could give small or not, it doesn't have to be small, but we can give zero interest loans to businesses that are doing a, a incredible job or creating an incredible service, but aren't going to have the scale or isn't going to you know have the returns that, you know, a, a traditional investment would garner. Um, or we could just take, you know, less of return on that. Right. So it's like a small business that maybe doesn't have the yields that, you know, we would expect. So I, I imagine there's a lot of work that needs to get done with human to human uh, coaching and uh, support. So we need to invest in, in, in experiences, transformational experiences and, and humans. Uh, so, you know, so that's, that's one of the examples. Yeah. And I think, Again, we, we, we touched upon this before we pressed record, but I think the biggest hurdle or one of the biggest hurdles is the high net worth community generally, this is painting a very broad stroke on this. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> they haven't done a ton of inner work. A lot of them have been engaged in creating more and more wealth and in these you know, businesses, companies, and, and having all these measures of success and which is fine, but they haven't given themselves the bandwidth to do the work uh, because they don't have time because they're, it's, it's such a competitive space that I think that's going to be the, the dissonance that you'll run into mm -hmm. because they're like, I don't know, man, I'm not giving up a large percentage of these profits. Like, I don't even know if you're going to make that. So it's like, we're trying to create yield beyond money. And yeah. I think that's, I love the concept. I, I didn't get it when I read the deck. I got it when I spoke to mm -hmm. you. So I think it's going to be important for you to be <laughs> raising the helping, raising the money. But, because but you've, you've also done a certain amount of work. I have, you know, so you're primed and ready. Um, I don't need to make more money. I'm okay for the rest of my life 
right? I, and that and that takes work to re- recognize, because I still feel like shit, man. I need to make more crypto. I gotta get into crypto. Right. Um, so, and I and I would disagree uh, that oh well, they're just making more money on top of their more money, and that's okay. I don't think it's okay, <laughs> and maybe I'm like being too bold here. But we need to really take a serious look at our relationship to money, stuff, and things. Because every issue that plagues our society is based in this zero-sum focus on profit over the things that are of true value, which are human-to-human experiences, the natural world, family, personal development, the things that we need to do to level up as a society, I think are um, hindered by the focus on profit. So I would, I would say that billionaires should feel uh, more generous than, than not. They, they should let it flow. I think that's totally fair too. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, I don't want to tell you how to spend your money, but I do think it's, it's, it's re, and by the way, we got a, quite a rainstorm going on here. So if there's a little background noise, uh, my apologies, but we've been needing the rain. Yeah, so I'm, kind good. Of, I'm glad it's here. Yeah, buddy. Which is about to be a great segue right into to the ranch, but we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure the ranch needs some rain right now. Bravo. Yes, yes. we do. But I do think, um, there's an education piece and it's like connecting the dots for people because it's new, you know? And I think the name itself, it's to, um, stands for to question assumptions and and which I love, you know, part of the, the great unlearn is to, you know, be ready to question it all. Like, are you willing to do that? Do you have the courage to, to change your belief system? The one that you changed a few years ago because it crumbled. Right. And a lot of people don't have that experience. And so like, my belief system's fine, man. It's, it's ironclad. It's like, no, bro, you're hiding behind that belief system. Well, we are all very deeply conditioned by the story of money. Uh, and we believe that it's as um, inevitable as the tides. Um, but it's not. It's something that we invented, we created. And it's a shared um, agreement that that this thing has value. And if you have a lot of it, then you have more power within this culture. Um, but what about the things like, I, I, look, you really only need what you need, right? I don't need more money. I just need the things that I need. Right. And that's for the, the basics, just survival stuff, shelter, food, um, warmth, all the other stuff is excess. Right. So what would happen if we built a, a society where you didn't have to accumulate a bunch of money, but anything you needed was available to you? Like, and I'm talking deeply needed, not all the you know, superficial indulgences, but um, so we have to, we have to be bold enough to create those new systems. And I believe we should all be a laboratory for invention if we keep telling the same story over and over again, if we keep playing the same game, we're going to get the same results. And then you have, I mean, look, look in the ocean, we have, you know, industry that can exploit the ocean a hundred times over 
until there are no fish. Uh, we have linear systems that are incentivized to exploit our natural resources, create landfills, uh, and pump a lot of CO2 in, in, in the atmosphere for shareholder value. Um, people, humans, overworked, working you know, several jobs to just barely make ends meet. So obviously there's a new story that needs to be told. And so I believe that we, sh- we can and ought to use our creative uh, abilities to invent new ways of sharing value, new, new ways, and also getting into right relationship to what is important to us. It's not the accumulation of wealth. It's something a lot more intimate within uh, human communities and nature. That's, that's my opinion. And I would argue that it's true. <laughs> there we go. It's your opinion. You're sticking to it. I like it. Well, then let's let let's let's shift to um, Kintsugi Ranch and um, what you're creating out there. Yeah. Well, it's all this the same instinct, impulse to reorient my my life with, to reorient my life to the things that are vital and important. So family, community, and nature. And um, that's my lifestyle. My lifestyle is now uh, focused on the things that are deeply um, fulfilling and enriching. Um, That simple. Yeah. And so you, you, um, I I would love for you to share, and maybe we'll wrap up here um, because I know we're running out of time, but I would love for you to share the uh, the awareness you had about the neighboring property mm-hmm. and uh, what your instinct was to do, what you wanted to do, which made perfect sense. Anyone mm-hmm. would be like, yeah, you just put up put up like a bunch of trees and well, you didn't do that. You're not going to do that. I don't know. I'll probably do a little of that. Uh, so yeah, we- Well, you can beautify the area, but like I, I think the intention now has yeah. changed. Yeah, when buying land, you know, you always- you know, the instinct is let me get land that's set up right next to a nature reserve so that I can have just rolling trees and mountains and endless nature on all sides. So I feel like I'm really, you know, in nature. Um, but we have actually a development, a housing development of, you know, a lot of, you know, very closely situated density of new homes. Um, and so my instinct is to just put up privacy walls or trees or brush to separate us from that development just for aesthetic reasons, uh, but also ideological reasons like, ew, that's like a development, like a HOA. It's like not what we want. We want like nature experience. And then I realized uh, you know, I, I, I'm permaculture certified. So one of the principles in permaculture is to embrace the edges. Um, and so I realized I need to embrace the tension between ideas in, in that space. So what is it that we're learning? What is being taught in the, um, the interplay between, you know, ideas of creating community that that's one idea we have another idea but instead of repressing or hiding 
that? Can we embrace it so that it can be a constant reminder or a constant opportunity to be open to new ideas or, or, or wisdom that is like born of that tension? Beautiful. Yeah. And it keeps you connected to the quote unquote outside world because it could be very easy to close yourself off right. on the land and have an amazing utopia, but it's, that's actually not reality either. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then you, you end up becoming, you know, prepper, you know, like <laughs> hidden away from society because you're afraid of development. You're afraid of, you become a Luddite, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's important to be within the realities of, of our larger community. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, brother. Is there anything else you want to share at the end? I know, is, is it, um, like, have you officially retired from acting? Like, what's the, what's the story there? That's a whole nother story, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm not officially acting. At least I'm not acting for money. That is not my um, focus. So I'm not for hire. Uh, I will act. And yes, if I act, you know, I'll ask for a paycheck, but my goal is not just to take work for money. Um, only doing things that are um, contributing to my new focus in life, which is yields beyond money, connecting with nature and community and family and um, the things that are vital and important. Not, you know, simply being a gun for hire just to create more escapism or uh, just, I mean, there's not, there's so much content out there. You know, I don't, I don't need to create more. Mm. You know? <laughs> there is a lot of content. Don't be careful. This is part of that fucking content, dude. So you be well, fucking it, shitting on me. No, no. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, what, I, what I meant to say is there's so much content that's designed to just be escape. And mm-hmm. it's not, it, it's just, it's just, uh, What's the word? Junk food. Yeah, it's, it's junk another, food. Another form of numbing and checking out. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, the kids have it with TikTok right now. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of that. So I just choose not to contribute to that. Awesome. Thanks for so much <laughs> for being on the show, brother. It's great having you today. Thank you, my man. Thank you. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearned. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.